0: Part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John 14 6. It will be one of many passages that we'll look at this morning. And that's, um, in one way, this is an exciting time of the year. Uh, I know everybody's kind of getting back into the whole school thing. Uh, But as I saw several of you post uh, yesterday, that uh, this is the last Saturday without college football. And so college football begins next week. And that's really an exciting part for a lot of people. Some people, uh, they're just kind of blah about that. Other people, you know, that is you live for this season. But one of the controversies that comes up almost every year this time of year is who is number one, the rankings of the team. And when we begin to think about who's number one, there's a lot of different reasoning that comes into it. A lot of people say, well, look at the team that, you know, from last year, and they'll kind of look at, uh, say, okay, this is why Clemson should be number one. Or somebody else will say, no, I'm a dog fan, and I think that uh, the recruiting season that the dogs had may you know, catapult them up to number one. But there's all kinds of different facts, but also emotions that go into who you think should be the number one team in the country. And so it always causes some controversy. It always kind of leaves us there, and yet... Is there really a way to determine who the number one team in the country is, especially at this point? There's really not. It's very subjective, okay? It's based on feelings, emotions, and all the different things that kind of come into it. And you may have a better case. And, you know, For somebody to say, I really think that Bowling Green University, I think they're the number one team in the country. You, know, you would probably have to fight a little bit harder. to to somehow say that Bowling Green's going to win the national championship? You probably don't have to fight quite as hard if you picked Alabama or UGA or Clemson or a team like that because you have facts to back it up. But in the end, it's going to be pretty subjective. Here's the other part of it that, you know, you say, well, by the end of the year, there's going to be a number one team. Yeah, there will be a team that will be crowned the number one, the national champion. They'll go through the playoffs, they'll win, they'll be the final one standing. But does that always solve... In everybody's mind, who's number one? No, if they have four teams that go to the playoff, there's always that fifth team that thinks that they should have been one of the four teams to get in the playoff. And so you have people from Ohio State or something like that will go, okay, we should have made that. If we were in that, we would have won the national championship. So even though you go through the entire process of a season, play games, a playoff, you get this one who's crowned national champions, it still comes down to something that's pretty subjective. I would tell you this morning that a lot of people approach the subject that we will look at this morning in the same way. They're pretty subjective about, okay, is Christ the only way? Over the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at a lot of the Christian doctrines, the foundations of our faith. I think it's very important for us, if we are to be disciples of Christ, that we're going to be followers of Christ, then we need to know those things that are just the bedrock of our faith the things that we cannot compromise on, that we understand that we live in a time and day when there really is still objective truth. There is absolute truth. And as believers in the Bible, we believe that the Bible is absolute truth. And yet we live in a day also when the culture, and even within the Christian culture, some of those things are arguable. There's people that believe, I you know. I don't know that I can really say that the whole Bible is 100% true. And you will find believers, people who have said that they are a Christian, that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and yet they kind of, you know, if we want to use a modern analogy, kind of hit the delete button, the copy and paste button, the copy and delete button on certain sections. There's others that say, well, you know, that was in a cultural setting and that's not really what it means. And so we live in a day and time, more importantly, your children are growing up in a day and time when a lot of things that we thought were solid, bedrock, foundational truths are not going to be a given in in, in their spiritual maturation in the culture and the world that they're living in. Maybe not even in the church that they grow up in. I would hope and pray that in this church it would be, but I, I can tell you, and again, this isn't trying to again cast dispersions, guys. But but there's many who have watered down. There are many churches who have taken the doctrine of hell entirely out of their theology. They just, in, in their mind, they're going, you know, how can a good God really send somebody? <laughs> but that is not going to be a given just because it's a Christian church and so we live in this day uh, believe me they have always argued about these points always oh. There's one difference in the world that you're living in and especially the world that your children are growing up in is the amount of information and information exchange that we have today. Go back even a 100 years, guys, and you would have had to go to a book. You had to go to somehow some written, if not audible, you would have to sit in the presence of somebody to hear information. It's really the only two ways that you could get information. A book that was recorded or verbally from somebody just a 100 years ago. And so to see something that was different from the way that you thought, you'd again have to go to a college and hear a professor say this or go to a church and hear a pastor say this or whatever it is or read a book and say, oh, they believe that it's a flat earth or whatever the, the case might be. In this day and time, our phones one click away from more information than our mind can even begin to process. And a lot of that built on very subjective things, feelings and emotions. How can a good God send people to an eternal hell? And if I answer that emotionally, I'm starting to wonder if he's really a good God if he sends people to hell. Because my emotions doesn't want anybody to go there. Does that make sense? It's only my faith when I come back to scriptural truth. When I come back and I begin to, to read the Bible, and I say, okay, God, this is overwhelming to me. This is kind of a complexity to me. And yet, God, my faith, will you give me the faith to believe that you are a good and loving God, but you are a just God? Perhaps the most attacked statement in the religious world, so the spiritual world today, is the statement of Christ in John 14 says, when it's not somebody who says this about Christ. This is the proclamation that Christ makes about himself. John 14 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This separates Christ from every other religious leader. It put him in a unique position. It does not by itself prove that he is right. There are many people who have said similar type things over the years. They just didn't live them out. They couldn't prove them out. And and we believe with the historical record of the Bible and by other accounts that that Christ did live this out. Here's my assumption during this whole series for the next two to three months. My fear, let me tell you my fear first, is that you're going to go, you know, I'm just a simple believer. I just believe in the old rugged cross and that's enough for me. And I don't really need to have deep theology. Well, number one, we're not going to be doing deep theology. I bring in the Christological view from Earl Ellis if I wanted to do deep theology. And you and I wouldn't be able to understand the first paragraph. I sat under him in seminary, and every day we walked out of there going, what did he say? The guy was brilliant. He wasn't a good teacher, but he was brilliant. He wasn't a good teacher because we didn't comprehend, but we knew, wow, that was true. (laughs) We just didn't understand it. That's not what we're going to do the next week. We want to break it down, but, but we have the purpose, guys, of, of understanding. But here's the three assumptions that I am making in my approach. You can disagree with them. You, we can, we can uh, talk about them, and I can adjust. But, but here's my assumptions. Number one, I believe that everybody desires to know foundational truth. Whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Christian, I would think that you would want to know the, the foundations of what you believe. I would believe that. Uh, I just think that everybody wants to, if they're going to be sincere and full of integrity, that they want to know what they really do believe. The foundation and, and the logical and, and the, the parts of it where they can assimilate that information and, and really hold on to it. Number two, I, I assume that you are intelligent and capable. I really disagree with that we have to water down the message of Christ and that we have to water down the way that we present the hope that is found in Christ. I believe that we talk to intelligent people. I believe that many of you are far more intelligent than me this morning. And I don't say that in a, in a lackadaisical way. I, I believe that you have incredible insight and abilities, and you're very intelligent people. Why would we ever water down these truths? Because we want them in little twinkie size truths when really it's flame on, and it's, it's truth, it's bedrock. So... Sometimes I use words that maybe are not the norm, and sometimes we may take an approach that's a little bit different. But, but my hope, guys, my hope is always, is that you would understand the reason why we do this is because I truly believe that you are intelligent and capable people. We don't need children's church for adults. Number three, I assume that you feel the freedom to discuss anything that's ever said whether that's through email, us uh, sitting down for coffee, a burger, burger would be my preference, uh, that we would always sit down, that if you had some opposition, you know, Bobby, I, I just, I don't agree with that. that, that you would know that there's an open and a humbly that we re- would do that, not in an argumentative way, but that we would do that humbly. And then I would say, man, I, I value you as a person. I value your intelligence. Here's why I believe Can we discuss this? I believe that you can discuss hard things and sometimes even agree to disagree. And still do it in a mature way, and I assume that you know that, and I assume that you would approach it in that way. Because this subject, even that's why I picked this this morning. There's so many different ways we could have started this series off. I know a lot of people don't like raising their hands in church. As far as when I ask a question, I realize that some people you you would affirm yes to that, but you just don't like raising your hand. Um, But if we were to raise our hands this morning to this question, I would imagine that the wide majority of us would be able to raise our hands and say, yes, there has been times that Bobby, Pastor, I've I've actually struggled with that Jesus is the only way. From an intelligence kind of mode, you know, how how are we, because we so identify Christianity as as a United States thing, it's not, guys. We were some of the latecomers in the United States. Please understand that. But we understand. You now, what about, and so the question always comes out, what about those people that are in India and, and the Hindus there? What about the people in the Middle East that are Muslim? What about the people that are Jewish? You know, the Old Testament believers, and, and they're very sincere in what they believe. What about the Buddhists over in Asia, and they're sincere in what they believe? Do, is this simply right because this is what I was taught? I think that's a legitimate argument or question to ask. But it does have answers, guys. It's all based on what Christ has said about himself and what the Word of God says about himself. But Please get this. Wondering, wondering does not always equal doubt. It can lead to doubt. But just because you wonder about something... I don't believe that wondering by itself is sinful. Those that are married, how many of you guys, if you were the ones that asked her to marry you, how many of you wondered if she was going to say yes or not? We knew that about you, Greg. We knew. I'm glad to see that hand. No, you know, did it lead to a point of doubt where you do not follow through? no. You know, you go, I can't wonder. She could say no here. But I'm going to move in, and I'm not going to let doubt overtake. I do wonder, and it would be devastating if she says no, but, but I'm going to move in faith of what I do know and what I do believe. And so we moved forward in faith. And we asked that beautiful young lady, Would you be my wife? Wondering does not always equal. Doubt. It can be the birthplace of doubt, and wondering if Christ's only way is not a sin by itself, but it's the start of a, of a kind of a journey where we go, okay, why do I believe that He truly is? Do I believe that He is the one and the only way? See, I wonder about heaven. I don't doubt about the validity of heaven, but I wonder. I don't know what we're going to be doing all day. I wonder about the Trinity. I don't doubt the Trinity. But if you can explain the Trinity to me, then you're preaching next week because it's still over my mind how three can be one and one can be three. I still don't get the whole total capacity and complexity of the Trinity. And yet I believe it with all my heart, guys. Wonder does not have to equal doubt. And it certainly doesn't have to lead us down a path where we say, okay, it can't be true because I wonder about it. My prayer is that we with conviction as a body of Christ, as those who affirm Christ as the Savior of our lives, is that we would say Jesus Christ is the only way to God. We would say that humbly, but we would say that with great conviction. I do not want our kids that are growing up at CS to be apologetic in their profession of faith because they live in a world where the culture says, you know, that's offensive to a lot of people. No, if we have the attitude of humility, which we also, when we get down to it, the fact that we're saved, if that doesn't humble you guys, nothing will. But it's out of that humility that we say, say with deep conviction, Christ is the only way to God. Does that make sense? Now, in a world of doubt that we have to have strong convictions and we stand it and we say it boldly, but we do not say it arrogantly, we should be the most humble people in the world as we come to realize, why did God even choose me to be a Christian? I don't carry this stuff go hit somebody over the head with it. I carry it because I'm a beggar and I found food. And I want somebody else who's starving to find food for their life. And it's in that humility, guys, that we would go and say, yes, I... And without compromise, I boldly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to a sovereign God. See, this is the bold proclamation of the Bible. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is preached after the the life, the death, and then the resurrection of Christ. And, and, And so these early proclaimers in the church, they said, okay, this is our proclamation. We say this humbly, but we say it confidently. There is only one name under earth to be saved, and it is Jesus Christ. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, Bobby, that's just offensive. No, I was one of those where the wrath of God, I was born with the wrath of God on me. And only by His grace and mercy that He opened my eyes to the beauty of the Christ. And, and I, I trusted in what Christ has done. And so I deserved that. 1 Timothy 2 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Many other verses that I could put out there. We could take the words of Christ. We could take the words from the Bible. But when it settles down, guys, there is no wiggle room. Either Christ truly is exactly who he said he was, or he is not. There there is no... He's just one of many paths to heaven. He's just one of many paths to an eternal life. In one way, that last statement would be true. Jesus is one path to eternal life. Because here's the thing, that if we believe biblical teaching, every one of us will have eternal life. It will either be with the Father, or it will be separated from the Father. It will be a place where there's eternal glory, or there will be a place where there truly is eternal pain and suffering. But every one of us will experience biblical teaching some kind of eternity. And so the Father teaches us and Christ teaches us, okay, here's the way that you do it. But, but let me do a quick time out for all of our very quick, intelligent, philosophical people this morning. Well, Pastor, it's good that you use the Bible to prove all these things. It's called circular reasoning. If I got convicted of a crime, and then I wrote my testimony. And in that testimony, I said, I was not at that place. I did not do that crime. And the only thing that I had going for me is my own testimony, what I wrote down. No, you said I was at Radley's house and, and that I, I stole this. No, I was actually out with Matt and we were doing discipleship. And the only, but Matt didn't vie for me. Nobody else vied for me. No, my only thing is my own testimony. That wouldn't hold up. Andy's in the back today, but that wouldn't hold up in cur- court. And in a lot of ways, that's what we do sometimes that we get accused of in in, in Christianity. Well, if you use the Bible to prove all the things about the Bible, it's circular reason. Of course you're going to get that. We will deal with that in the weeks to come because it's a legitimate argument. It's a legitimate claim. Why do we believe in the sufficiency of the Scripture? But we can't handle all of these things at one time, so it's going to come. But realize that when I start quoting Scripture, that I realize what I'm doing. Okay, circular reasoning. Two things this morning that I, I, I pray that uh, that we would see these truths uh, by scripture, especially in the in the weeks to come. First of all, Christianity is not the only religion in the world to that claims exclusivity. So oftentimes it's Christians going, yeah, Y'all think y'all are such a special people that if you're not a Christian, if you don't follow Jesus Christ, then this is what's going to happen to you. And, and, you know, y'all are such an arrogant bunch, you Christians. And what we get accused of is this arrogance and we get accused that somehow we just think that we're above everybody else. Well, folks, all the major religions, I don't know about some of the minor religions, the ones that just, you know, have five followers or something, but all the major religions of the world preach to themselves an exclusivity of their own beliefs. You go up to a Muslim person and you say, I don't believe this, that, the other. They have a word for you. Infidel. You're not a believer. It's a very aggressive word. Why? Because they believe that exclusively this is true. And if you don't believe that, then then you're outside of that and and they have a word for you. If you went to Hindus, now Hindus are kind of hard because Hindus actually have probably about a million gods. They really do. You go witness to a Hindu about Jesus Christ, you're probably not going to have a problem convincing them to add Christ to one of their millions because they just kind of combine, They've got all the bases covered. But if you get right down to the, the the tenets of Hinduism, you will find that they do have one prominent thought and one prominent theology that kind of is the basis of a lot of the thoughts. And so it's very exclusive. You go to Buddhists the same way. You know, that they're going to have a lot of different things, and yet it's all because they don't have a God. You know, for the most part in Buddhism, it's all about... That in a way nothing really is real and exists and you're just trying to go to this place where there's more nothingness and so in these different tenets of the different world religions that are out there don't believe that all Buddhists believe like Hindus and all Hindus believe like you know, Muslims and all Muslims believe like Christians every single world religion including Judaism the Jewish people are very exclusive in their beliefs and you're not going to sit down with people that are convicted of their beliefs and say, well, this is what I believe about Christianity, and say, oh, we're, we just all believe the same thing. One of the common things that we have heard in the last two or three years, trying to take uh, Muslim belief, Islamic belief, and Christian belief, and, and try to find some common ground so that you know, we can all play together well. I'm all for us playing together well, and I'm especially for us being so respectful of everybody in their beliefs you bring me a a neighbor or a friend who is Muslim, Buddhist, I I will treat them with the most respect because I think that's the Christian way that we are to do that. But folks, what's very current is that okay, Allah and Jehovah are really the same God. How many of you have heard that in some form or fashion? They're not. Not by the definition of of each of those faiths. The Christians would describe Jehovah God this way and the Muslims would describe Allah as this way. It really gets much more specific when you start getting down who Christ is. You're going to have a very strict teaching in Christianity. You're going to have a whole different view of who Christ is in the Islamic faith. And you can start to see that that gap widen. But what a lot of people do because it just feels good okay, we're just going to kind of get up here and at least, can't we at least agree about this? My point is not for us to be disagreeable. My point is for us to be certain and, and build our faith, guys. I do not want your children and your grandchildren growing up, you know, if they're going to reject something, at least let them reject it out of their own consciousness and knowledge of something instead of their ignorance of something. There is a way that Christianity is exclusive, though. The first thing is, that don't believe this whole lie that Christianity is the only religion out there that is kind of exclusive in their claims. No, we are not. Every religion is. But we are exclusive in this. This is the place that Christianity is truly different from every other major world religion that I know of. We're the only ones that really put all of our hope and faith in a work that is done by somebody else rather than a work that is done by ourselves. Every other religion, major world religion, puts the emphasis on your ability to follow some kind of tenets, some kind of belief system. If we want to take the the Islamic faith, so, okay, here's the five pillars of Islam, and as you go out and do those things, you are guaranteed that you're going to go to heaven. This is going to be your eternity if you do these five things. And, And they're built upon what you can perform and what you can do. And so there is this exclusive, uh, exclusive nature of Christ, of, of Christians, and that we're really, as far as I know, the only world religion that says, okay, it's not about how good I can be, but it's about how good the Son of God was, and I put all my hope and my trust and faith in his goodness and his ability to satisfy the justice of God. And that way we really are different. Christianity says right up front that you and I are not perfect. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the the curse for us. Ephesians 2.8.9 For it is a grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Also, please realize this, guys, that as Christians, we're not the ones that really started this whole proclamation that our Savior, that Jesus Christ, was the one and only way. Christ is the one that started that. We're just simply mimicking what he said. We're affirming what Christ said about himself. So the first thing I want you to do to, to start, try to dismantle some of this belief that we're the most arrogant people when we make this proclamation that Christ is the only way is that somehow Christianity is the only exclusive religion in the world. We're not. Every world religion is exclusive in their teachings. Number two, this belief that exclusivity is somehow hateful and arrogant, it's not if it's real truth. And this is where emotions can play a really big part. I hope you have some Muslim friends. I hope you have some Hindu friends. I hope you have some Buddhist friends. I hope you have friends from all backgrounds of, of everywhere in life and that, that you have good relationships with them. And so this is not something that we go over there, and again, that we have an arrogance and we beat people over the head. No, with great humility and with great respect, we go and we call out the, the call of Christ. And it's not hateful and it's not arrogant, and especially it's not hateful and arrogant if it truly is the truth. I don't know how many of our kindergartners just started back in school. And uh, when the teacher in second grade or first grade, Jody, whenever they're doing simple addition, probably first grade, and, and the teacher says, two plus two equals, uh, so I said before, I'm going to go back to my previous student, you are a smart group. Man, you're educated and an enlightened group. Uh, two plus two equals four. I don't know of too many kids in these first two weeks of school that uh, raise their hand and say, ah, excuse me, <laughs> but really I don't believe that two plus two equals four. Actually, it equals five. No, they actually are going to trust the word of, of that one who's over them, and they're kind of you know, following that, and it's not, you know, if it's true, it's true. if you put the wrong answer down, it's the wrong answer. And you can say, well, I hate that Billy didn't get any of the ten questions right. You can have compassion for Billy, okay? But for you to say, well, it was kind of right. Because they put down five instead of four. You're not a good teacher. You're really not. Because you've allowed Billy to believe in a truth that does not exist. Does that make sense? And what would be different, guys, when we take that to the spiritual beliefs? If we truly believe that a jaundiced baby needs to go under um, the the lights, these special lights, to to help activate the liver and and their body so that they can kind of recover. If that's truth, isn't it kind of hateful to say, (laughs) we're we're not going to make that available to your child? Because somehow you don't understand the technology behind these lights kind of activate, you know, whatever goes on. I don't understand all that stuff. But if there's a doctor that says, okay, because your child looks like this and he does this, this is what you've got to do. Nah, at that point, I'm, I very much am just going to go, I trust you, doctor. And it's not hateful and it's not wrong. And for some reason, I just don't understand it. The Bible says that the only... Perfection that is adequate for us to stand before a holy God is the work of Christ. And the Bible makes it clear that we are not perfect—that's the bad news. But God said that He provided one to be in our place—that's the good news. And while God's answer is exclusive, the ones that can know that answer are not exclusive. First Timothy 2. Remember when we read that before? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Remember reading that a little while before? Look at the last part of that, verse 6. The man Christ who gave himself up as a ransom for John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever While the claim of Christ is exclusive, this is the one and only way. The the offer of Christ is not exclusive, guys. He doesn't say, okay, you have to have this income, you have to have this skin color, you have to come from this nation or from this part of the area. No, he says from the whole world, every tribe, every nation, that you have opportunity to put your faith and trust into God's answer. That's where it's not exclusive. It's not hateful. It's not arrogant. It's loving, and it is right. What it really comes down to, guys, this morning is when we come down to what is man's problem. And if we say that our problem is intelligence, then what we need is more information. If we think that man's main problem is, you know, goodness, then, then we need morality. But, but if we see that our main problem is that lack of goodness, our sinfulness, then what we need is either the ability to satisfy a holy God, which we cannot do in our own, or we have to have one who is able to pay that price for us. And this is who Christ is. And this is why Christ, unashamedly in great love, said, I am the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We will be confronted in this culture. You're going to be confronted by friends that are intelligent, smart people. You're going to listen to Oprah. And Oprah's going to say, that just couldn't be true. I'm not trying to pick on Oprah. Just, you know, when somebody made the statement of the exclusivity of Christ, she immediately came back and says, that that can't be. This is unbelievable. This, you know, there's got to be many, many paths to the same world. We have people that are of great intelligence. I promise you, Oprah's intelligence is greater than mine. She's a smart, smart woman. And and yet, I would believe that she is wrong in this area. I don't pick her out I just because she's known. It's important for us to know these things. Next week, we're going to follow up on this. And we're going to look, okay, why is Christ exclusive over the other uh, leaders of of that are out there but but here's what I hope that you get from this morning again that guys that we're going to be humble about this This should humble us to no end that we know the truth about God and we don't know it because we went on some great discovery we know it because he revealed it through his word and through his spirit it's his graciousness that has given us this gift not our abilities to, to synapse together we should be the most humble and yet the most convicted of all people that are walking this earth about the certainty of how do we know a holy God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And, and Father, this morning as we start the series, Father, I, I pray that it communicated, Father. I, help us to see that this is not some elite club that we belong to. Father, help us to be so humbled that you would open our mind to the beauty of the gospel. Father, help us not to carry this into a a way that we would see ourselves as just this superiority over the world religions. Father, that by your call that we would go out there and simply as beggars who have found food that we would tell them about this wonderful Jesus. Is anyone worthy? Father, you've made one that is worthy. Let us not shy away lovingly, boldly, humbly proclaiming His goodness, His grace, the finished work that we rest in. Let us never stop praising you that you allowed us to see in our sinfulness his majesty and his perfection. We love you, Father. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.